0: I mean, this is like, I'm, I'm mad because like, do you guys like tell, tell, having people tell you no? So then it became, I'm putting him out of business. Like, I don't know how, but I'm putting this guy out of business. Mm-hmm. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to
1: get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something.
2: something.
0: It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory
1: that level of understanding has been taken out of the out of the game what's up y'all welcome back to point 4
2: I'm Andre I'm talking to Derby ET that's your new name derby not ET not either man I was just you call me I was just out there trying to mingle function just to taste. Thriving, you know, t- some of the best two minutes in sports, so they say. But um, it's a dope event. It was super cool. Kentucky's a nice little city, only a three-hour drive from Columbus. Uh, well, Kentucky's, Kentucky's a nice state. state. Okay. Yeah, Kentucky's a state. I mean, Louisville, not Louisville. It's a nice little city, only three hours to drive from uh, Columbus. And I actually picked the winning horse, Mage. Uh, really? Yeah, I did. I did a box, so I took uh, Mage. I took two fills. Um. Shit, what I had eight, three, fourteen. I think six. So three of the four. I think three of the four finished in the top. Uh, top four mage one. So I won like two bands. So I, you know, I'm not really a gambler. I'm a shopper. I like that. Yeah, but uh, it's definitely worth going to, man. We should pull up sometime. Get our fits for out. sure, for sure, man. You was getting your fits off. Uh, uh, tell us what you got on. Tell us what you got on. How much that cost? What
1: What you got on? What you What you have on? What you have on for Cause you had two nice suits on. Yeah, The first night was Zanya. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, <clears throat> yeah, you know what I mean? Shout vulnerable. out to Zanya. I'm supposed <laughs> to go out there, uh, this uh, in October to go to the mills. Yeah, I'm supposed to go up
2: there. No, it's hard, bro. That little wool cashmere linen, uh, silk blend. Yeah, they come so necessary for the springtime. And then, uh, and then the second suit was just, um, it's my homie Gustavo a Pity out of uh. African homie out of Seattle. He had made I did a photo shoot back with him again. You know, I thought the suit was so nice, a little blue joint. We just ran yeah. it back one time. So it was cool. It was it was a vibe. And, you know, I had to accessorize and you know, in certain rooms I glow. And, and luckily that was just a good day for good day for the squad, you feel me?
1: Yeah, it was a good week then for um the attire. I don't know. Well, I mean, but you won though, so you had a great week. Yeah, I mean, y'all, sure. Y'all, I mean, y'all had a win this week too. Before we get week. into this week, before we get into this week's topics to interview, this is where we remind you to look out for us on TikTok, IG, Substack, and the Usuals at Point Forge. <laughs> <laughs> point forward, et. How would you respond if you were playing and ball into the stands and 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 you were in Philly? So your uh spidey senses were tingling and you on edge just already and you go to get the ball in the stands and someone has the ball and his partner that came that came to the game with him tapped you on the shoulder or gave you a unpolite impolite uh touch how would you respond
2: don't touch me, bitch. Now I'll probably just be like, bro. I, I, to be honest with you, I would know better than to put my hands on somebody unless I'm willing to take the fine. You understand what I'm saying? But like going into the stands, not just somebody, i just like, bro, give me the ball. And I'll just walk with like <laughs> that down. Like that's literally it. I'm like, bro, do not touch me. And that's it. It's like when uh, I saw somebody heckling LeBron, right? <laughs> and I'm guarding him. I'm heckling LeBron and dude's just, Damn, they're walking up the sideline, just heckling, buddy. And LeBron just leapt over and was like, why is your dusty ass talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you dead ass serious. I was like, uh, I was like, that's, that's the best way to do it. But the yogis joint, that was crazy. You must've been frustrated. What would you do? Um,
1: I had this thing in college where if it was a fans student, students that were heckling me, I just had one of my guys be in line of sight for a pass. And I'm firing it as hard as I can over my teammate's head at whoever was heckling me. But you get a lawsuit nowadays doing that, so I had to stop. I like that. <laughs> but what if you, That's what if you're the the governor of the team? How would you respond if a player gave you a nice bow to the chest?
2: I mean, I, I'm mad guy swagger. Used to be a player, so you know what I mean, Hooper. He ain't gonna trip or something little. Now I think like somebody from a different team would have showed up to the game in like a neck brace. <laughs> you know what I mean? He would have been pressing charges. He would have had him and his whole family would have had had it on their social media's Facebook posts. You know what I mean? Trying to make trying to make everything out of it. They would have tried to run with it and be like, I was beefing with somebody that da-da-da-da-da. like you know what I'm saying and try to like anything else make the game about them. I like how Matt handled everything. He kept it chill the big game, I think also too, he kind of showed his personality nothing was that serious, you know what i'm saying yes yeah, true it, it, it I, and the only thing I, the only reason why it drew some attention
1: to me because if it was a different player i wonder the marcus cousins or something yeah right I wonder how the league i'm wonder how the league would respond to that other than that yeah this it's not that big of a deal if he moving forward but that that i i i would I would wonder what it would the decision would be
2: with someone else. I, I love Mike Malone, but with Mike, Mike Malone has stuck up for Jokic as he should a couple of times, but like he's going far west. Like the All-Star game is terrible, but like to bash it because your player didn't get what he wanted in his lane or being like, say what you want, Jokic legit, raise his arm and put it into somebody's face and push him down. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Like we're saying it's not a big deal, cool, but regardless of which, somebody would have got fined. Isaiah Thomas is still out the league, for going to the stands and telling a fan and not calling a bitch over a Slurpee, aha, uh-huh. you understand what I'm saying. And I don't care. Like you shouldn't get up in a grown man's face, joke. It's just right to do, like do whatever you want to do. But legit, there wasn't a. It was legit a, to a man's facial areas. Now, now, if Matt with a swung bat, I wouldn't have been mad. Matt. Matt took a dive, just in case if it goes in the other way, <laughs> but. Man. Hey, I, I, he should have sued Matt for falling. That's how rich Matt is. <laughs> <laughs> point forward. Moving on,
1: we've spoken about, you know, Brownie and our fans of his game for quite some time. Uh, made the uh, McDonald's All American team this year. Uh, one of the top five point guards in the country, being ranked, you know, around 19th by ESPN 100 for the class of 2023. Just committed to, USC. Uh, I know we were at the game in Ohio uh, past college football season when they played Notre Dame, and okay. uh, the Ohio State fans showed Bronny a lot of love. But he went. He stayed out west, uh, down the street from the house. Uh, they recently moved to L.A. with Pops. Um, what you think about that decision? You know, we talk about him being royalty. And, you know, it was funny, I was actually around some Zanya folks and talking about culture, talking about uh clothing and I I actually spoke that you know says as African Americans we do have our own royalty as we should yeah. and I consider that family, you know, the royalty. royalty. You know, people aspiring to, you know, do something greater in life and, you know, think beyond themselves. So so he's a part of that. Uh so just thoughts on his decision to go to S C and uh Ohio State
2: losing out. D yeah. Ohio State. So for one before I Dive deep into it. I think I'm not shocked because since that game we saw him, they didn't really have communication with him after that. Oh. So like they didn't hear from him until he put out his top four or top three. And they were like, I guess we're in the top three. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right. And 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 that and that was like six months after he visited, I believe. And um which wasn't shocking. I think Brownie's a big brand. I Mm -hmm. think um, not only is, is he a brand, naturally, he's a kid that, you know, has his own decision and where he wants to go to school at. I understand, like, the Ohio State function and everything with his dad. But, like, you know, his, his dad sponsored school, never really played there. But, like, Brownie right. is a L.A. kid. He's a Cali kid. He wants to enjoy himself and go to where he needs to go. And, and it's hard to ask a kid to leave L.A. to come to Columbus, man. True, especially when the money's going to be what it's going to be, and um, you know the position you're going to be in. I think him being close to home and playing is something that'll make him happy. And he's still a normal kid at the end of the day. He probably wants to be around his brother and sister, be around his mom and shit. If you could stay at a 20k square foot crib, and <laughs> go up the street. Like, why not? No, they will get him a condo. Yeah, right. I would. Right.
1: <laughs> or I would take one how about that.
2: What you think? What not- uh, like? How do you feel about Brownie's game and just like where to take it do you think uh you think he'll be good in in the pack yeah, I think it's good for him you know the pack has always
1: been more more possessions, a higher pace, you know a quicker pace, faster pace or uh, or whatnot and so he's going uh they got another top what well, the top point guard as well is going to SC, I believe
2: uh, yeah I they it. call him yeah he's good and then they got the kid buggy still there as well. So dude it yeah. you know, went to the pros a little guard, so they Yeah, they aim it, yeah, at three guard lineup. Hopefully it works. Villanova. Yeah. Oh. So one for you. No, I mean the old Villanova. So Kyle Lowry. Randy Foy.
1: Randy Foy and Allen Ray. Allen Ray. Ray. Alan Ray and Randy yeah. Foy were in my class in high school. Chicago versus New York. The Wendy's classic. Oh, really? Yeah, I I uh I they snuck, I snuck in that game with the Chicago guys and I was like the outsider until the game started and they realized I could hoop. Cause they hadn't seen me hoop that often. That was like at the end of my senior year. So I had just came, I had left the, the first ever Jordan Classic. So I just left Carmelo and them. Carmelo killed us in the game. So I had some uh, pent up frustrations. Cause I'm with, I'm basically with the McDonald's guys. I didn't make the McDonald's team. I was mad about that, but then I hooped at the Jordan Classic and uh, I didn't have the offensive package to, you know, get off like I wanted to in that game, so I took it out on the the uh, the, the, B, the, the the B game, the B game, mm-hmm. uh, all star game. So that's what that was. Shout out to Hilton Armstrong; he was at that game too, and now he's oh, one wow. of our uh, he's one of our assistant coaches at the Warriors. Yeah. And then I played with him for half a year with the Warriors too. So uh, we talk about that game a few times. Yeah, like they both said that it's funny because Hilton was like, "Bro, I, we never heard of you. You came and killed." I was like, I, "That was like a regular day for me." <laughs> Locally, point. Forward. Oh man. No, oh, like why do these people keep getting caught gambling, man? I
2: don't <laughs> bro, understand I, I don't understand. Man, that mortgage due every month. You know what I mean? Bars. <laughs> Bars. <laughs> that's it. They, they, that's all somebody need to say, like, bro, that that mortgage due every month, dog. Like, et. If I know some info, I'm turned up. Uh,
1: last Thursday. University of Alabama athletic department announced that fired baseball coach Brandon Bohannon the same week ESPN reported concern over suspicious bets on an Alabama LSU baseball game. Athletes were reportedly not involved. Bohannon has been the head baseball coach since 2017. Last week evidence emerged of a person placing a bet while in contact with Bohannon per
2: ESPN. To get caught up in that type of scandal is kind of crazy, bro, especially if you're going to get fired. Like, where can you bounce back to? Like, not only are you doing, like, small time, like, you're already doing, like, D1 baseball, which isn't, like, the biggest. Now you're probably being A2, D3. I mean, you can Google the average salary for a a division
1: or a SEC baseball coach. And you know how we we speak to that. The football teams in the SEC finance the entire sports program. Yeah. Everybody making money. Yeah. Everybody yeah. gets paid. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Everybody. The average, the average NIL deal for Alabama football player is one hundred and sixty thousand. Average in Alabama on Alabama's football team, the average NIL deal for per player average one sixty. So, you mean Roll to tell down. me that all. Roll them tight, Roll them tight. Do I sound like that, Kerr? <laughs> Listen, man, 400,000 on average for
2: a baseball coach in the SEC. That's wild, 400,000 for a baseball coach on average. That's $14 that in San Francisco. So?
1: That's baseball. Saban make bro, it 10 million a year, bro. <laughs> it ain't football, it's baseball.
2: Bro, bro, what does a baseball coach do? All do yeah, is like uh, a fan, he's just a fantasy owner. All you do is like, all right, bro. You was looking at it today, I might start you. You can't catch for shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what 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 does he do every day? I mean, you guys, the coach managing. That's why they call him the manager
1: in baseball. And then for clarification, a uh, Bama coach makes
2: 200, 275,000 a year. Um, and he said, Nick Saban is the highest paid teacher in Alabama. <laughs> right? bro. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. Like when I made my little bet at the derby, I was kind of like, man, it's goodbye. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> give my little friend. All right, I'll see you later. And I I didn't plan on getting it, so I went up there and I turned my ticket, and I'm like, bro, y'all really finna give me money out this joint? Yeah. Ready to get me two bands cash? I put it in my sock. Gotta buy it.
1: It's true. We all have our vices, though. Living, you learn. Point forward, down for that, clown for that. E.T. and I, uh, as you can see, we agree on a lot of things, but not everything. Down for that, clown for that is where we take a stance on a trending subject and decide whether we are down for it or have to clown it. Now, I know a lot, a lot of our listeners have been wanting me to speak on the Lakers series and how, you know, everything has transpired, and I haven't. But this is directly dealing with it. E.T., you and I spoke about it briefly when it happened. So Lakers for Jared Vanderbilt who's had a pretty solid role his role has been very solid in the series. Yeah. He recently came under fire for I don't know if you should say supposedly or it happened, but he spent 2000 on clothes to wear for game 1 uh of the of the second round series versus us and posted a lot of pics, he was fly, he was clean and then shortly after returned the entire fit to the store. And what happened was an employee from the store who sold him the clothes, um, sold him the clothes and then the next day saw the fit and then realized when he came back to work the day after the game, uh, or the day after the game, that the clothes were returned. But he wasn't the one that took the return. So he was really upset and he decided that he wanted to out Jared Vanderbilt. But are we clowning or are we cool with Jerry Vanderbilt being fly and returning to fit after the game?
2: I'm clowning only because who my old heads are. Mm. I remember when I was a rookie, I walked into the locker room with a, a a digital watch with diamonds on it. And somebody came up to me and said, hey, bro, who told you to put that bullshit on your watch? (laughs) Nobody don't watch the diamonds no more, man. Don't do that bullshit. I walk in and you just hear me do some clown shit. Shit, I remember you or Lou will come up to me and be like, "Hey, bro, stop that shit." But you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, no, nah, bro, you too old for that. This is not high school. Like, that's goofy, bro. I'm not with it. I'm truly not with it. I'm not with it. Now, I'm down for
1: it. Tell me why. Because the Matt Gala was last week, and I was just learned at the Met Gala. There, those outfits are chosen for the designer, each, right? Each particular attendee. I didn't know that. So, mm. like, Pusha T was clean. Uh, Shay had the outfit of the night. You know, he had some dope looks. A lot some of time, had some pretty, yeah, yeah, mm. some dope looks. But I heard you have to submit those fits before you actually wear them, and Anna Wintour has to approve of it. I didn't know that. And most of the time. Uh, not even most of the time, I think all the time those fits are given back and they're housed in like, say like a museum or for like show. I didn't know that part either.
2: Yeah, but that was like an orchestrated thing that's been happening for forever. So, Jared Vanderbilt I just said, Jared Vanderbilt found out about a game It's like, let me go ahead and do that one time. Like this ain't the Met, my nigga. So there's a, there's been a very
1: cool name given to the NBA playoffs the last Decade, and we call it the uh, the Warriors Classic. That's what every time we go to the players, it's like it's time for the real season to start. The Warriors Classic, and know. obviously, obviously, there's an uh, end that it has to come to it. But you know, we've been on a run, so it's a similar to the Met Gala. Therefore, I'm not upset that folks come to. The okay. Game. I didn't- you're right. With a certain type of energy because they haven't been to the Warriors Classics. And so shout out to my man.
2: You know, I am feeling that. You're absolutely right. I'm feeling that. You got Brian in the building. You got Steph in the building. All eyes are on every you shit. You might get a, you might he might snag a C-list celebrity for real. We saw uh, the Lesbies. That's what I'm saying. He 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 might pick up some gold. So I'm with it.
1: Point. Forward. All right, we 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 got some uh, we got some interesting <laughs> topics. We got another topic for down for that clown for that. So Pat Bev, uh, your Westside Connect gang, uh, shout out York. to Dub C and Westside Connect. Pat Bev says that fifty percent of NBA players don't like basketball. Most time, most teammates I know who don't love basketball are the really fucking good, ones. Like, are the most skilled, the wildest shit in the world. You could just show up to the game and give a motherfucker 30, 40, but that might work against Orlando. No no disrespect Orlando, but that might work against other teams who aren't that good. You know what I'm saying? But you can't do that in the playoffs. Are you down or are you clowning Pat Bev's statement that 50% of NBA players don't like basketball?
2: Right, I'm down for it, but I don't think it's a game that they don't like. I think it's a business of basketball they don't like. You know what I mean? When you're going into the game, it's gonna be, the NBA is a star league, so it's only probably like four or five stars. Maybe now it's probably like eight or nine and are popping. But like, when you sit yeah. there, you're trying to climb that mountain, you're gonna go work out every day. Like, it's one thing, like I always say, to accept your role and star in your role, but sometimes people probably be tired of doing their motherfucking role. And like adjusting or coming to games, being super hyped for a game. But now this week, you situational. You yeah. gonna match up with two dudes for two minutes, and then you're gonna come right back out and this is how we see for you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of dudes are like, bro, like, it's a cool game and it's cool as, I, like, unbelievable, but it's like, who who wants to work this hard and, and see a glass ceiling? Like, nobody wants that, dog. And, like, yeah. I, and I feel like the love goes from it because as a kid, you're looking up to Jordan, Kobe, and all that. Like, I'm gonna play on Sundays and do this, that, or the other. And it's like, if it don't turn out to be that, like, if I'm showing up to a game to only shoot five times, my G, like how much preparation do I need? Yeah, we had that conversation about a
1: a lot of players who could probably play in the league as like the eleventh, t- twelfth man. But they say I'd rather go overseas and just hoop how I like hooping. It's kinda like um what's my man, the Spaniard? Navarro. Yeah. That was his name. Yeah. He played in Memphis. He it was the most storied Spanish player
2: probably ever right. Yeah, but they ran off. He that couldn't out. Yeah, he could yes. cut. Yeah. He, could yeah, he cut couldn't cut it. But it. it's, no, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, yeah, no, it's it's a, a lot like, of uh, like hard Yeah. I, yeah, for sure. I don't know, gee. Maybe we could use what's my man's name that got punched in the face a couple of years ago, the Serbian? By Bobby Porters. Miricic. Now, Meritage should be used in a situation because he probably wants to go overseas and really. I think he signed a Barcelona for like three years, twenty-one million. Yeah, back in like twenty nineteen. We ran a so, lot of I'm, boys, back up out of here. That's that's sure. what
1: I want to get back to. That's why I'm I'm so adamant when we talk about, you know, we talk about basketball and you know globalization, and it's almost as if we show more love to the foreign players than American players, and that's not any hate or trying to separate the two because you know how we love and be, but. You know, when we talk about hoop, it's like we we set ourselves to a higher standard in terms of like what mm-hmm. basketball is really about. And like, that's what I want to get back to. I don't think 50% of the players in the NBA don't like basketball, but I do feel like they have some animosity towards, because you're talking to the African-American athletes. That's how I feel. And you're pretty- But you do this, you, you go. No, I, I, that's how I feel like that. That's what bothers me. But we sent a lot of guys packing back home So don't just talk about us like that. And I'm not saying Pat is, but I feel like that is the energy that is thrown out there. And I think it's more so how we don't get the most out of our athletes in terms of their potential. And we're drafting guys at such a young age now, you know, guys 18, 19, you cutting them by 21, and you say they don't love basketball when you just didn't help them develop to their highest potential. And I think there's some, you know, that all gets mushed together and you, you know, you throw narratives on certain things. So I just think that's what scouts and basketball analysts have turned the game into,
2: you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you hear, and I don't know how it's viewed from like a non-American situation, but sometimes you see overseas, you see how many rules they set up to protect their homeland players or their Euro players and like favor that. Or even again, yeah. you can't even use any athletic moves to protect their players. So you literally can't sweep through unless you stop. So them slow motherfuckers can figure out how to guard you. <laughs> do, like, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 or you'll keep talking what I hate sometimes that comes over and it's not only a level, but it's a comparison in so many ways. Like, mm-hmm. they'll talk about different toughness and like, he's tough, he came from this background, I came from that background. And it's like, bro, y'all selling them boys up for failure. You know mm-hmm. where we came from? Yeah. Send yeah. them little weak-ass boys over here, let us dice them the fuck up then. Yeah. Because if they were that tough, that, this, that, and other, we'll have to bam the half the league would be 40%, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, stop playing with toughness, stop playing with backgrounds, stop playing with the systems that dudes came from to provide for themselves. Right. You understand what I'm saying? And like right. you always try to build a narrative and give a benefit of the doubt. It's like, no, all the cream in the crop is over here. You have it a million different ways. Set it up. It's like the same thing that happens with James Harden and Luka Doncic that you always talk about. Yeah. We hate one and the next one is a GOAT.
1: Almost forgot how to make noise. I'm digging that. Point. Forward. Before we get into our interview, big shout out to the NBA. We ran basketball heavy. We haven't spoken, we spoke about business a little bit, NIL deals, but NBA looks to open more stores abroad internationally. And so I'm really interested to see um, how that's uh, going to come about. Uh, it's a dope NBA store in New York and they, I think, uh, they're expanding to Brazil. I uh, so want to- Paris too. Yeah. Paris. They want to open up six new NBA stores in South America, uh, by January. Uh, it's going to bring the total to 18. So we should do a deep dive on that. I'm, I'm going to do a deep dive on how that works.
2: I know the first thing, like, yeah, you know, haven't got a deep dive on it. The only thing that means you put six more stores in South America, that means you're going to see Jason Tatum six times. That man's on TV <laughs> and everything <laughs> everywhere. Point forward.
1: Today, we are joined by a man who went from sleeping on his friend's couch to founding a billion dollar business. I woke y'all up when I said billion. In this wide Reggie convo, our guest Todd Peterson talks about his humble roots, founding of event, NBA arena naming rights, cherishing family. And why not? Because it's a lot of money. I said billion fast cars. Enjoy this timeless sit down that was recorded at All Star in Utah where Todd currently resides.
0: How you get here today in the seat in those beautiful Birkenstocks?
2: In the Dior jacket. Well <laughs> we just gotta go on now. I'm sorry.
0: I had to load myself up in my car. And come up here from Orem. It was about a, I don't know, forty-five minute drive, mm-hmm. which I did in about thirty-five minutes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Spun up here in a little nineteen seventy-seven turbo. If you guys like, if you guys like vintage cars, I, I do love it. I'll... That's what I like. Okay. good got to. Um. Mm. Well, my favorite car I own is a ninety-six turbo. Mm. Now, the reason being is um, this: this guy that ran race teams for Porsche back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. It was hit Dietrich Andiel. He. It was his car. And he pumped it up to like 580 horsepower, and it's 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 beauty to drive. It's like it's everything, no doubt. Mm-hmm. 96 turbo silver on the outside, bright blue on the inside. Like oh, and I okay. already did the inside, which you don't do to yeah, you know glass and cars. You do not touch the inside, but I had it ripped out and baby blue dashboard, um, headliner, doors, seats, everything. All right. Yep. That's it. That's the one. How
2: often did you, you drive, drive it? Sir. Um. I- in the summertime, all the time. Yeah, I was kind of late to have a Ferrari or whatever. Or I used to have a Ferrari, but literally in the summer, if it's meant for the summer, I drove it every single day. Yeah. Dre sits on his, it never drives. Oh. His Ferrari. I drive it. No, 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 come on. Like, no, 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 no. 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 Did, don't, you, don't drive it. You sell it. That's what I say. But did don't drive, drive I want it I want, it. it. I want to keep it for
1: forever. But I want to get into. This... No, in Miami, I drove it every day. It's my only car. Which one is it? Uh, the the Lusso. It was an old uh, FF. They changed the name. Okay. So it's. Really, the only ones we can comfortably fit in.
2: Oh, yeah. they had the 488 Spider. I was I was forcing it, but yolo. I like mm-hmm. that one. Though. That's nice. I, I, I mean, choose. I, I love. So I've got the
0: 458 Speciale. Oh, and I actually I just I wrecked it last last fall <laughs> into a wall. My bad. That's but, a, so no, I don't have any money for Ferrari because I don't think I could crash a Ferrari. If I yeah, crash Ferrari, like, I feel like man. It was a light crash. It was a light crash. Light crash. Okay, yeah. Cool. You bounced back, all good. Yeah, no, that no, no, was like it was. It was it was a really bad idea. It started to snow in Utah. And oh. I'm like, I've got to get this to my hangar, get it out of my garage because it has, you know, yeah. tires on it. They're not good for the, you know, the yeah. winter weather. I thought I was being easy on it. I was coming on the on on ramp to the freeway and it literally just like was on ice ice. Oh. Boom, slammed the wall. It was like thirty five miles an hour. So oh, okay. it wasn't major damage, but I did put it in the wall.
1: Did you
2: catch what he said though?
0: Where was he taking it? And you to stick the, the hangar, yeah, okay, okay. Listen closely.
2: So Dre, what? Dre has this. Thing. Come on now. No, we go get there. It's my wife's hanger. It's not mine. No, so we'll just get there. Dre, Dre, we've been talking about that. Dre has this thing where I'm like, damn, Dre, like, you should buy this. You should buy that. And he's always like, bro, I need a house for it. I need a location for it. I need the right thing mm-hmm. to go along with a Ferrari. So my he takes that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, look, bro, if I if I'm gonna cop this, I need the house that matches it where it's going to sit. So like, that's why he's so particular, finicky with. Yeah, I'm weird. There we go. And so if I have like, my favorite car is, I don't know if I have one anymore,
1: but it was a Maybach at one point. Okay. Like if I don't have a driver. Right. Or if I don't have- Okay, I don't, so let's go there then. Okay. I've never had a driver. I don't think you have to
0: have one. I just feel like the, it's, the purpose of it is to have one. No, no, I, I, hey, look, I, I would, look, I live in Utah, so. Driver in Utah, I don't know exactly. I don't typically really care what people think, but or in Utah, no one's probably ever had a drive. You got a Maybach? I don't have a Maybach, but I have a Ghost um, uh, Black Badge Edition. Yep. Is that four door? It's Ghost four. That's four door. It's the four door. It's the it's the stretch one. It's the the. Um, and you drive that one? I drive it
2: myself. Damn, if somebody's in the back seat using my amenities. Yeah, <laughs> that's just me, y'all. Am I wrong? Want... <laughs> I'm driving and right guy back there. Just no, I would. I'd be pissed.
1: I just feel like it's succession. Yeah, it's the perfect example. Okay,
0: do you watch and Succession? I, I've seen a little so bit. of the it, the but fleet. I, I do want. I do want to drive her. Don't get, get me wrong. I don't want to drive it. it. I want to. <laughs> I want to experience from the back seat. Yeah, there we go. I'll. I'll. I'll turn it up a little bit, and I'll get that done. So that's why. That's
1: where I go back to the question: How'd you get here? And so I, I'm glad you answered it that way. Not many guests answer it that way, so thank you. Yeah. In terms of how you drove here, but I don't know how you got in this seat, um, and what all of you have accomplished throughout your life. Oh boy,
2: because we had a we've been having a great conversation. I think it's been a real conversation, organic, and some people from a distance can call it tasteless. So I want to go back to a point where you lost it, where you don't have survivor's remorse because you earned everything, you got it. Yes. All right. So you can sit here and have a real conversation about, yo, I have a Ferrari here, I crashed it here, I crashed it there. Like, no, I'm not bragging, fuck you, I worked hard for yeah. it. Like, that's. Well, it's well at, I'm, I'm going to, uh, do you want me to tell you? Yeah, like, and we, and, and, yeah, I want you to do your thing. Okay. Because
1: we have, and we're going to tell the folks who you are because the, uh, the normal basketball fan knows your company based on the arena, but yep. they don't know yep. exactly who you are. And we have this third base theory. And you, I don't even know what that is, but it, I want to know. Right, because you didn't come from that. And so that's why we want to hear okay, your story. Like you really had zero
0: yeah, at some I mean, point. I, I did have zero at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, zero financially, but I had a lot because of how I grew up and who my parents were and my, my upbringing. I had a lot. I had a lot that maybe I didn't understand at the time, but but it was there. I just had to go get it. I appreciate it, but yes. um, I'm gonna give you a small background, like in my background. So I grew up in Idaho. Do you even know where that is? Yes. Well, you've
1: never been there, though, probably I've been there. Washington State. We play in Pullman, and but the hotel we stayed in was in Idaho. Oh, well, that's not so we saw really, all. That's the, not really being in We Idaho. saw the. Uh, I'm from. We're from the Midwest. So yeah, we see cornfields. So okay. So that was the first time I seen potato fields. Okay. And so instead of green, so was do you brown.
0: like potato fields or cornfields better? If you had to look at one aesthetically. Come on. The cornfields, it's just it's green. Okay, okay, I, I'll give versus you brown. I'll give you that. So I grew up in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Um, my parents, my dad was an orthodontist. He'd grown up in Idaho Falls. My mom grew up on a dry farm. Do you know what a dry farm is? I do not. Which um, there aren't that many you know, left anymore. There are still dry farmers, which a dry farmer is a farmer that has no irrigation rights. So the only rights they have if it rains, they get a, They get that rain. If it doesn't rain, their crops don't grow. So she grew up in very humble beginnings. Very, very humble beginnings.
1: Wow, Our I never owned it. My uh,
0: father, pretty abusive. I, I never really knew him. He died in a, in, you know, my grandpa died in a, a uh, drunk driving accident. But that, that's how, that was my mom's perspective. You know, um, my parents, my dad's dad was a tailor, like li- literally like made suits, nice suits too. He was from Denmark. So, you know, my parents were like good, solid people, you Mm -hmm. know, just like down to earth, like good people. Um, I grew up with 10 siblings, Mm -hmm. seven sisters, three brothers. And how'd that happen? No cable television. Like, (laughs) I mean, like, you know, we didn't have, you know, we had a couple of channels, but, and we really just didn't watch TV, but I'm like, how my parents keep having, when I'm younger, I didn't know why they kept having babies, but now I know. They didn't have cable tv so they had nothing to do yeah nothing to do but you know like <laughs> the i guess it's like the sounds but so, so you know the, like honestly like the best upbringing but i was um i had 10 siblings and they're amazing people like when i say that like they're good to everyone um are kind our house was actually quite calm even with that many people you'd think it'd be crazy it really wasn't um but i was crazy i was a little bit of a you know i was a, not a little bit i was kind of a wild child i mm-hmm. um, won't tell you all the stories but i ended up in a boy's home when i was 14. um, uh, which i deserved mm-hmm. a, every bit of it no doubt um i wouldn't say that it helped me or changed me it did teach me a lot of things but um you know that was kind of my track and my parents they really just kind of like they they made sure i didn't hurt myself but um they didn't have a lot of rules for me because i didn't fit the mold of that family so that's that's kind of my upbringing a bit um so when you know you know lds people yes so you know in utah there's a lot of lds people and i and i wasn't really up uh, i wasn't really active or into the faith when i was younger and in fact i didn't really believe in god truthfully like mm-hmm. from a very young age until i was about 18 and i had a Kind of a crazy life-changing experience that, like, I went from literally not believing in God, and I don't. Some people do, some people don't, and I'm good with whatever people think and and their belief systems. Like, truly, I, I am, but I went from not to absolutely in in a in a in a second. I mean, literally, like one. It was it was a little God. small little time frame, but about ten minutes, and I felt there was some truth in darkness and light. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go on a Mormon mission, LDS mission, the Dominican Republic. Domin- have you guys ever been to the Dominican yeah, Republic? I haven't. Yeah, that's, that's, and you, yeah, listen, if you haven't, it, it, have you been? Yeah, I've been. I've been. It's the best. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it, it's absolute beauty. Beaches are amazing. Of course, I didn't get to do that as a missionary. Yeah, the French side and the, the ocean side. Yeah. And that that's pretty cool. Freshwater mm-hmm. canals, all that stuff. So it's real. it's really cool. But I, I went, I went there for two years. And, um, and then it wasn't about me. It was about serving people, getting to know the people. I had to learn the language, so I speak Spanish. I come home, and, um, you know, my parents decided to just cut me off financially, which they had the means to help me out with school and otherwise, but I came home, and um, my parents decided, like, hey, it's time for us to separate ourselves and you, from you know what we have now, you've got to figure out. So, my dad drove me from Idaho to Provo, mm. dropped me off at my buddy's doorstep, who had just gotten married. Um, is this too much information? Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm listening uh, <laughs> now. I've dropped me off at my buddy's doorstep, and, and, and before he had a conversation, and he just said, "Hey, we're you know we're done with you, um, and you got to go figure it out. Mm-hmm. We're not going to help you." Um, which, by the way was the greatest gift he ever gave me. He gave me my freedom. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like like he gave it to me, even though as a parent, you guys have children? Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine like it's no and no one no and zero, age 21, you know, cause I've been gone from 19 to 21, nothing except my birthday. I got 10 bucks every November 23rd. Um, but I, I get dropped off at my buddy Brent's house they lived in a one-bedroom, uh, like kind of a studio mm-hmm. in a basement apartment. I got a, he, They allowed me to, I, they had this little couch with an afghan and a, and a, and a little pillow. That's where I stepped in had $5. I had some clothes I had previous to the mission, and and truthfully, right right then, I was a beggar. Because I had nothing to give. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. Um, you know, I had capabilities, but not right then in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and i'm gonna end it with this like the first morning i woke up this is like this is like ingrained in my in my soul and i wake up and it almost makes me cry i wake up the next morning and um it, it, was a, it was a saturday morning and i was really hungry and you know i was like honestly i was like a little dazed and confused because my parents had just literally two days ago and i'd only been home for like three days from my mission so i'm gone two years come home and it's like snap you're done. Good luck. And um, which, by the way, I, I didn't know, and I wasn't mad, but it was done out of love, mm-hmm. right? Because right. they know they knew I needed that. I did. I didn't have that perspective. Mm-hmm. But um, I wake up and I'm like, what? Is, what is my life? I have. I can't even buy food. I can't. I don't have any food. And I grew up in a family where we didn't just get into the fridge. We had to ask my mom if we could eat something Cause you know, 11 kids would absolutely ramsack a refrigerator or cereals or breads or whatever, so we we grew up having to ask. But I remember waking up hungry and and, and thinking, man, I have nothing. Like, I have nothing. I have to wait for them to wake up, and, and if they eat, I, I'll eat. But it took them a while to wake up. They wake up, um, Susan was her name, she starts making scrambled eggs or I thought it was scrambled eggs ends up making omelets. And I'm like, "Oh, that looks so good. (laughs) So good. Of course, I don't, I'm not going to ask because I didn't grow up. And she finally says, Hey, um, would you like an omelet? I'm like, please. And the, the gratitude I felt to Susan and Brent was tremendous. And, um, I remember sitting there, and and I wanted cheese. By the way, is that crazy detail? <laughs> no, no, no. And, and um, she finally asked if I wanted cheese. I'm like, oh, absolutely, I want some cheese on that. I remember thinking, I will get myself to a point where not only do I have to not, um, you know, be a beggar, which we all are, you know, in life we are. Right, it depends on the moment and time right. in life. I've figured that out also, it doesn't, it's not just financial, but, um, I want to be able to help people. I want to do things that can lift other people up and help take care of people. So, um, that I, I just, that moment like was life changing for me and and difficult though. It wasn't, it wasn't, I was like, Hey, this is great. No, it was, I'm I'm in a hole. Um, I don't know how to get myself out of this hole. I got to figure this out. I didn't even know how at that point, but that that's where I started. Right there. Gotcha. Brent's um and he didn't want me there, by the way. Thin walls. They had very thin walls. They were just married a month. And I'm sleeping out like outside on their little on their little uh, couch. I didn't want to be there. They didn't want me there, but I have a choice. So and it wasn't the snoring that was bothering me either. No, I got you. They just yeah. got married. Yeah, yeah. And were they LDS? They were also. So married. they had a time to make up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Make it most time.
0: No, no, that's true. You know that's right. That's, no, they were just getting that's right. They were just getting to it. Uh, I, I we really appreciate that story. So that's a that's a lot of background. No, but, but it's important because that's like that's that's me. That's
1: that's where I came from. It's the epitome of, you know, point forward and what we try to, you know, represent to our listeners in terms of guiding people to understand like, you know, we all have our journeys and we all have our Uh, missions and and thesis in life, Um, but we all have to go through hardships to get there. And, you know, there's many forks in the road, and some forks are just tapping out. They're white flags. And and most of those white flags are tests just to push through and persevere. And, you know, it's hard to have these conversations and get people to tap in because they only want to hear the end of the story, they want to hear the successful part. You hear Z talking about it. Everyone wants to be successful and wants to be like you until they understand what you had to go through to get there. And so I'm going to play a little bit of Tarantino in terms of chopping up the story. Uh-oh. We're going straight to the end now. Okay. And our connection uh, in terms of obviously there's a basketball connection here with y- uh, your company yep. uh, being the uh, the naming rights to the U- Utah Jazz Arena, right. uh, Vivint Arena.
0: And so uh, talk to us about how that came about you know interestingly um you know this is before the smiths on on the jazz um the millers owned it and lots of respect to the miller family for what they've done for the state of utah i mean they, they've been amazing and, and even amazing in in turning the, the jazz over to the to the smiths who have the energy and the passion and and you know kind of the belief to take it to the next level and mm-hmm. it's it's all good i mean i thought that process is amazing but the, the, Mil- the Miller family, um, I guess it was about ten years ago, had some their team come and approach Vivant to replace the previous group uh, to have the naming rights. And look, I you know, being from where I came from, I thought, man, um naming rights and the amount of money that cost man I'm, I'm not even interested like and that was it was a hard note. Mm-hmm. That was over the phone somehow um they ended up getting another meeting placed with me and uh a few of my team they really wanted this to happen and i'm like no 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 let's let's use the capital to grow the business back into the business back into the business like i would always tried to do and uh, anyway i come walsing it was a setup true setup. setup you know you've been in those <laughs> you've been in those some setup some you know it's like sneak attack meeting so I walked into my office. Uh, there's like three pe- people sitting there. And one of the pe- people was from the Jazz. I don't remember his name now in their marketing department. And they had one of those. I don't even know what you call them. Um, you, you guys, are you, you're not old enough. How old are you? 39. Uh, yeah, you're old enough maybe. Do you remember those little things you look through? and you'd have to move, you'd, you'd yeah. click them. In like the, 3D glasses, but yeah, the, the yeah. child version. Yeah. So anyway, they had one of those sitting there, random. The early metaverse. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> <laughs> sitting on my desk, and I can't pick that up. And they had superimposed on the arena in that thing, vivent on the arena, Gotcha. click, 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 done. <laughs> Just like that. I'm like, that looks <laughs> not, yes well hey man those tiffany brooches i bought <laughs>
2: Yes, <laughs> i am
0: i hate to say that but um uh it, like honestly i'm like that looks right and you know we had talked a bit about um the impacts mm-hmm. nationally and, and and even beyond that 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 could have on Vivint. I i was just somewhere someone where i was a bit conservative aggressive in business, a bit conservative with capital, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I just didn't feel it. But mm-hmm. when I saw that, I'm like, and I'd heard all the data, the information, the reach that you know you all have. I, I saw, it was, I was like, I knew all the truths about that. And then when I saw it visually, it was over. So. Gotcha, gotcha. And so for me, speaking specifically on
1: naming rights to arenas, um, I had someone on Wall Street that I was uh, following closely and get a lot of information from. This is early in my career, and they said, um, "Don't buy stock in companies that have naming rights to arenas." And they brought up the Enron situation and you know just other things. So I was interested to know if you
0: if that was taken into account. We with we talk, We talked about that. Mm-hmm. You know, Blackstone's invested in us. We talked about that. Honestly, they were more for it than I was initially. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're a national company. We have customer base in every state in the U.S., mm-hmm. probably every city at this point. We've got several million customers, so they were actually more for it in the in the early stages before the collided whatever that thing's right. called. Right. So, for folks that don't know, uh, what is Vivint? and how does this start? well what did what do the customers get so vivin is uh, it was two it was twofold so Vivint is a smart home company it started as, as like a burglar alarm company mm-hmm. kind of like an ADT mm-hmm. uh you know you break in a window a door opens that shouldn't alarm goes off and uh you know you signal the a central station that calls the police or fire or whatever that case might be well when i got into the space um I had a buddy of mine named alex and we kind of felt like there was no innovation in the space and hadn't been for years. It was like GE and Honeywell, they were printing out the same product, you know, on the wall and inside the home that had been, been done for 20 years. Yep. So we decided, because we we were too dumb to know we shouldn't, um, <laughs> we decided to build our own platform. I'm not an engineer. I didn't graduate from college. I don't know anything about hardware design, software, nothing. hmm um, we went and hired some engineers and built our own hardware platform and software back end software platform. We wanted to connect the entire home to lighting, doorbell cameras, cameras, he- heating systems, HVAC, and everything. And, and uh, funny, uh, geez, this is back in '07 uh, that we started talking about it. And and then lo- and and then hired engineers. Everyone in the industry, everybody said, "You're going to fail. Mm-hmm. There's no way you two and this company." Can build its own hardware platform and compete with companies like honeywell and and, and you know and ge no way Yep. um but um i just we just had had that belief that we could do that So and that happened we, we built that out hugely successful and that's a big driver of why our company's grown inside of the, the, those next couple of years one of the things that we felt was really important is renewable renewable energy and mm-hmm. that's solar mm-hmm. So we incubated a solar company inside of Vivant, spun that out. Um, it became Vivent Solar, separate entity, uh, its own uh, management team, its own, you know, finance operations teams took it public. Um, and then later Vivent Smart Home also went public. So two separate entities. So we really that was we wanted it to be one and the same company. mm mm-hmm but our bondholders, you know, you know all this. They thought that it wasn't right. They didn't understand tax equity financing. Renewable energy back in 2010 wasn't the thing. Everything
1: you're saying right now is like music in my ears and I really want our listeners to dive in more to these things because we're always talking about ownership within NBA. How do players uh, get equity stakes in teams? Uh, How do players build wealth? Uh, Because obviously, only one player has ever been able to become uh, a governor of a team, which is Michael Jordan. It didn't come from his basketball salary; it came from you know a consumer product, right. which is one of the harder investments or types of companies you can build to get that much success. Most of the time, software has the highest margins, yeah. you know, highest multiples oh, yeah. on earnings on the stock market. And so, everything you're saying is just music to my ears. And um, where I want to go now is. Go back I want to go back to the summer because you said you didn't graduate college. That's right. I want to go back to that summer before you dropped out of school because I know why you dropped out of school because of that paper. But talk to us. It was was it Terminix? Was the summer gig you had? Whoa. Whoa. I'm doing my homework on you, Mike.
2: You you know we,
1: we
0: do our homework. Team is team well, is incredible. The team is incredible. So back up even a little bit further mm-hmm. um than that. So the one thing I did know how to do is work hard. So my mm-hmm. parents instilled, you know, work ethic in us. I grew up, you know, through, you know, junior high and high school, always having a job. I did sports, you know, school obviously, but I always had like a part-time job, summertime full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Um so post-mission I had a job sheet rocking. I did it with this guy Brent actually that uh, you know that I mentioned that I lived with. Mm-hmm. And you know, eventually and I did this because minimum wage was like 3.45 an hour in in, in like 1990. Mm-hmm. I couldn't pay tuition, books, rent, buy a car, pay, I I just couldn't make it. There's no way. I also grew up in a family where debt was no option, like no debt. So I didn't go try to get, you know, school debt. I'm like, that just didn't resonate with me because my parents didn't have, they built a home cash and they spent a long time building it. They paid if they bought a car cash. So that's how I was raised. So. Um, I wasn't making enough doing the sheet rocking, so I started a house cleaning business. Mm-hmm. So previous to that, that what we're talking about, right? Um, I had a business, it was real simple. I go, I went up to all the rich homes up top of Provo, where I lived, all the biggest homes. And I started knocking on those doors, got a business license. I went and trained under someone who had a house cleaning business for a couple of weeks for free. And um, kind of learned the process, not that hard, just it's like elbow grease and, yes. and do a good job and started knocking doors and got clients, so I cleaned, like, when I say, like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, One of the families had six boys, young boys. (laughs) And let me say this to all you viewers. I can already imagine. (laughs) Your Your young boys, have them sit down when they tinkle. Have them sit down. (laughs) Don't have them stand up, because whoever's cleaning that bathroom, me, in that period of time, it was a mess no sitting down doesn't even work but it's better and look i did it and i did it perfectly mm-hmm. um so you know actually truth of matter is i didn't i loved cleaning homes i love the end process so she rocking house cleaning and then what happened was um i had so this is the summer before i dropped out this is the summer before i dropped out of school i had A couple of friends who work for a pest control company in sacramento california and um they come back from they come back from the summer and they're like hey todd you know we were thinking about you this summer these and these kids were like rich kids um you know in my my view like they were came from wealthy families and um they came back and they said hey man we've been thinking about you all summer like you sheetrock you're always dirty you're always cleaning your bringing your cleaning supplies out of the trunk of your car and um, you know we made 10 grand and 12 grand in four months selling pest control you should go do it because you're a hard worker like we thought about you all summer wow so i was like well that's 10 and 12 grand that's crazy yeah. and like we didn't even work hard it was so easy <laughs> so if you did it you do you do a lot better because you have to pay your own bills and you work hard so um i'm like i'm i'm just gonna i'm like will you connect me with the owner of the company they said sure absolutely which they did so i got my little beat up like golf gti played paid like fifteen hundred dollars worth barely ran drove to sacramento california to meet with this guy scott Harmon Mm -hmm. for a job and i go through this little training regimen he put a bunch of people through it's for this testing stuff was super easy finish all that pass the test sit down with me. He's like, Hey Todd, I'm not going to hire you. I don't think you do a good job doing this. And I'm like, what? I'm like, like I'm confused. Like everything I'd ever done in my life. Now I, I played, I played basketball in high school. I was a really good, really short, slow with n- no hops basket. Is that, so what were your strengths? Um, I don't know. I try, Hey, here are my, here are my strengths. I try. I, I worked hard. Oh, okay. Man. No, that's a bigger strength. Like, I'm now. telling you, I worked hard. Um, no me nobody beat me in a drill. No, nobody out, I mean, ever. But you know, I had the NBA dreams, but the NBA wasn't, it just wasn't in my cards. a Ball. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Idol Falls Tigers. <laughs> um, so anyway, he's telling me I'm not I'm not good enough. Right. And I'm like, Scott, hold on a second here. Like I just, I just served a mission two years. I killed myself, doing what was asked of me, like twenty-four-seven. I didn't call home. I didn't date. I didn't swim. I didn't mm-hmm. go to movies. I didn't. It was. I was a hundred percent. I come home. I'm taking care of business myself. No, I'm telling him all this. And he's like, yeah, don't care. I just don't think you do a good job at this. The sales, the sales thing, and and working for my company, right. And I'm, I'm, I'm not accepting it, like, because that doesn't work for me. And I'm like, Scott, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Like, I, I sheetrock. Do you know how hard sheetrocking is? Have you ever done it? It's, it's, it, no, I- it's a lot of work, but I actually loved it, and I was good at it. Like, I have a house cleaning business, cleaning toilets and kitchens and floors. And he's like, Yeah, I don't. He's still no. It's a, it's a no still. And I cannot get this guy to say yes to me. He's like, hey, I, no, mom, we're done. Here's the door. Thank you for driving out to Sacramento from you know. And it's I didn't have the money to do that, and my car kept stalling because the the um, what do you call it? Alternated, alternator? I don't know. Alternator. Whoa, <laughs> that's what all black people say when something wrong with the car. The, the, I alternator. No, it was my alternator, <laughs> kept dying, and people would have to charge me up and get me. Good. It was the alternator. Whoa, man, we're good. That was that's a lot of background. No, that's black people. <laughs> and anyway, there's something wrong with the car? <laughs> alternator. Fix alternator. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really. Your alternator broke. Out okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> never seen alternator. I don't know what it looks like. Well, mine was bad. <laughs> it's the heart. Clean. So I. So anyway, I drive back. To, I I drive back to to Utah, and I'm I'm mad. I mean, this is like I'm I'm mad because like, do you guys like t- t- having people tell you no? No. I mean, you know, look, there's no one lies, but when you know you've got it, and someone tells you no, right? It's like not acceptable in the brain and in your heart. It's just not. I drive back, I call this guy like seven or eight more times over the next couple of weeks. Of course, there's no caller ID back then. You know, I'm, I'm sneaking my way through his secretary. He's like, Todd, no, don't stop calling me. It's no's a no, stop calling me. I'm like, but Scott, I'm telling you, I will work harder than anyone you have in your company. And it was a no, solid no. So at that time I'm pissed off. I mean, this isn't even about like anything, but I'm pissed because someone told me no. And I knew I was going to work hard. I knew uh, if they made 10, 12 grand, um, I don't know what the number was, but I was going to go for it. So then it became, I'm putting him out of business. Like, I don't know how, but I'm putting this guy out of business. Mm -hmm. He owned a a little uh, pest control marketing company, real small. So I had my buddy's mom send me the the yellow pages from the Bay Area. She lived in, like, uh, not Danville, but San Ramon. Yeah, right next to Danville. Yeah, I live right there. You you do? I live. Uh, do you really? I live the the spot. I won't tell people where I live, but I live the spot just oh. before that area. I'm in. San okay. Ramon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I okay, get my Rolexes from. She lived in San Ramon. I see everything. Oh, <laughs> she lived in San Ramon, and she sends me the yellow pages. I start calling every pest control company in the book mm-hmm. saying, hey, I'm from Idaho, living in Utah, school student, I want to come work for you next summer. Um, selling pest control on your phone, taking leads call, like my buddies were doing. Every single person call I called said, no, man, we don't hire part-time people. And you live in Utah? You're from Idaho, what? Like, this doesn't make sense. Um, and, and I just kept calling and calling and calling and calling over about a month and a half period of time. If someone even sort of acted like they were curious, I'd call them back, and that was a hard no. Mm-hmm. I finally got to this guy named Daryl Ennis, from Terminex, and at this point, I'm like, I'm like, I knew how to, I knew how to like knock on doors for my mission. Engaging with people on the street, no problem. Pretty relaxed about it. I was to the point where I said, hey, look, Daryl. And he was like, now what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to sell pest control expand your business i said look i'm willing to come out and work for you uh, with your company i'll knock doors i wasn't even asking for leads no leads no no nothing i'll knock doors and if i don't make a sale that day or that week you don't pay me you only pay me if i make a sale and he's like well that that doesn't make sense like how are you going to do that and i explained my mission i know how to work hard i you know i did the whole thing And he said, well, come out here and meet with me. So I drive out there and um, Daryl's like, well, where's the risk in it for me? And he said, hey, by the way, Terminex is like a big company. Did you know that? I'm like, we didn't have Google. So I didn't know who they were. Um, He's like, we're like a billion dollar pest control company. I said, well, I had no idea, but that doesn't matter to me. I just want to go knock doors and make you guys money so and i said and it, by that point i had like 10 of my buddies who want, they're like hey if you get a job doing this can you bring us along yeah. so i explained that to him i said i've got i've got a group of people that want to do this if i do it but if i manage them like pay me some sort of like override yeah. um and he's like well this seems like a no-brainer no risk i'm like it is no risk so we literally we we couldn't go to california because of this licensing thing that's where he was mm-hmm. He set us up in Arizona, in Mesa, Arizona. And um, one of my buddies, again, I have no money. Um, And I was making enough money to pay my bills and and no debt. I didn't have a debt on my car, wasn't very expensive. And um, so I have no money. So I finally go to my mom and like, I, I was in need. And I said, hey mom, can I borrow five grand? And I drove up and like, t- for my parents, like that, that's a big deal. Yes. So I sat down with my mom, and I'm like, I'm like, I'll pay you back in four months. Like every dime I make goes to you first. Um, and by the way, I paid her back six grand. Mr. Warren, but mom, yes. I paid her back six grand back. and I should have given her equity. Should have given her equity. She's your mom. Yeah. So, but, I, uh, so running, but, but I did buy her house and her car. So. So I, I got her back later. Valentine's Day gifts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so my, I, I go to Arizona, Mesa, Arizona. It's not developed out the way it is. My buddy's dad had somewhere for us to live it was a trailer on an old stud horse farm. And this thing had no running water, it Had electricity, but no running water, but it was free. Um, and me and my buddies, there ended up being 12 of them mm-hmm. on you know, sleeping bags on the floor of a trailer. That's where, that's where Vivint started, right, right there. That's where we started. Wow. Um, we bathed at my friend Danny's um, house at night, showered. His dad was so cool. Um, swam in their pool, bathed the night back out to the trailer, slept up early. Cause it was summertime Phoenix, it's hot, hot. Okay. but, but anyway, that that's where we started. All I knew how to do was work hard. I didn't know sales. Not really but I made 80 grand that summer. 80, 80 grand in the summer of 1992, and I worked nine nine in the morning till nine at night, six days a week, knocking on people's doors, saying, hey, do you have pest control? What do you think about pest control? Do you have bugs? And um, $80,000 I made that summer as, as a young kid, and, and um, guess what car I bought that? Guess what car I bought? If you have done the research, like what car did I buy?
2: Uh, you bought your uh, DeLorean.
0: <laughs> whoa this is crazy so south san jose like my car literally was done it was done it like the alternator was really bad i mean you think you have bad alternators mine was bad it was like you know sometimes a day sometimes two someone had to jump me so so i got a pickup nope i didn't get a pickup but i wanted a jeep so i'm looking in the in the um you know whatever in the sales side of the, of the newspaper and there's this salvage title jeep Was a little older that was listed for five grand. And I called this guy up and I'm like, hey, I'm interested. I said, Is, does it run straight? It's salvage tile. He's like, well, it's in a big wreck, but it's fixed straight. I drove to South San Jose in the, at nighttime in, in kind of a tough area, like not a great area. And uh, yeah, I'm a white boy. So I'm like, uh, am I supposed to be here? This seems interesting, kind of down a dark alleyway. I meet this guy and I said, hey, look, I don't have five grand. I got 3,500 bucks, I know you want five grand, but I can only pay 3,500, will you take 3,500? He said, well, if we flip a coin and you win, I'll take 3,500, but if you lose, you're driving back somewhere and you're getting me 1,500 bucks. Flips the coin, I win, hands me the car, hands me the title, so, you know, you know I could have bought like something special, something new, right. lease something up, salvage title Jeep. Moved back to. I didn't buy a house. Didn't do anything. Moved back to the, my home. I was living in with six other guys. My rent was 188 bucks a month. Saved every dime, every single dime beyond that for school. I thought I was going to finish school that way. So um, I I reengage in school, and um, I'm literally in a class. It's it's a um, political science class, and like I'm not vibing in one of those. I, I it's like I don't care about what the teacher's teaching me don't care. I'm like, how's this going to help me pay rents or how's it going to help my future? I didn't, I just didn't have that perspective. And I had a 30 page paper due. And, um, I had the opportunity because Terminex said, Hey, would you bring a hundred people out this next year? I'm like, I can do this and listen to this, which is just, it just doesn't feel like it's getting me anywhere. Or I can go focus on building this little company, but I I might, might or might not work. I don't know, but I felt like I had something in me that said, I've got something here that I know how to do this. And I'm in control of what's going on. Based on my efforts, I stood up middle-class, walked out, never went back. I'm going to say this stuff doesn't matter. I mean, the cars I have, the plane, I have the, none of that matters. None of it matters. It's just stuff. It's fun, but it brings no joy. It's just things. I know for a fact because I that was at a point where I mean I did I start I start with nothing, and I'd look at people that had the things, um, the cars, the homes, the all that, and I thought, man, I got to get there because that that looks amazing. And when that event happens, man, then I'm going to be happy. But you all you all know it's it's not it's not it's not even the payday. Right. When you the, the big paydays, yeah, 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 yeah. people would think, Oh man, that's got celebration. When I've had big paydays and I've had a few, my, my wife and I don't even really even talk about it. It's an event, but it's not, not one of those things that I've purchased or that I own brought real joy into my soul, my heart, mm-hmm. my, my kids aren't, you know, they they don't care what car I buy. They care, how much I engage with them, and if I'm present with them, and my wife's the same. So that's why, like, you know, I talk about it, and I, you know, I don't want to be flipping about it, but um, you know, I do have a lot of things um, that I have because I worked hard, and uh, you know, delayed gratification. By the way, very, very important. The way I live now is different than the way my wife and I decided to live our first 18 years of marriage. We've been married almost 29 years now, five children. When I got married to my wife, um, I I explained to her my, my vision on where I wanted to go. Now the companies have gone beyond what I, you know, really believed at that point. I didn't think quite big enough back then, but I said, Hey hon, um, like when we, we owned a home as a duplex, but my renters covered my mortgage, so I, you know, I had debt on that on that first duplex. But we had, I still had my Jeep. I bought her a car that was salvage title, and this is the bad part. I'd paid thirty five hundred for my car. I bought her a car for eighteen hundred. I mean, now, that was piggish of me. Now I understand. Don't you, now. you say? Now I understand the Valentine's Day. Yeah, I got to make up for yes, sir. what I did in the beginning. I was looking out for me more than her. I feel bad about it still. Don't you think? I bought her a car for less money. This is the guy to ask.
2: Don't you Uh, think? (laughs) No, I definitely respect what you're coming from. I think you do what you can if it comes from the heart. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's like, shit, we pick it for one pot. I'm trying to make it do what it do. But I think the reward that you do for her for believing in your dream is a big thing. So There we go. There we go. There's so many people that wouldn't believe in it, Like, yo, baby, stay with me. I'm going to take us where we need to go. You got to trust me. And, and let me tell you, I, I can't
0: even describe to you, my wife, that's, you, you, just, you, just, you, just, you just, you just describe my wife, like my best friend, Andy. I mean, she is, she's everything. When I say that, she is everything. Like I said to her now, she grew up in a trailer park in Alabama. So anything that we had beyond a trailer, which we, it was a little duplex, very old, very small was better than, you know, where she'd come from um and but when we got married i said look i want to build something big i don't know what it means i don't know what that is but we're gonna live on the least amount of money possible for the longest time possible our first 18 years of marriage pre-blackstone we rented homes and and i'm gonna i'm gonna say this like and i could have afforded to buy homes you know get a mortgage on the big house have my company cuz I owned it pay me a big salary but when we first got married um I had this this company going it was already going for several years and it was it was income positive quite a lot several million dollars a year which back then was you know a lot of money yeah. it's a lot of money but I rolled every dime back into I was doing real estate also whatever the company needed I provided for growth all excess capital after taxes into real estate and we lived in rental homes. We had sold the duplex early because the market went up. Bought it for seventy four, sold it for one forty. Took the money, put it into real estate, and we started renting. And we d- we drove cars for eighteen years. This is no joke. That they were they were they were good. Alternators weren't bad. <laughs> and they worked, but they you know I drove a truck that was rusted for nine years. A, this old Dodge truck, but I saved all my capital. We didn't buy Tiffany's. We didn't have handbags, and we rented homes that were really inexpensive, um, linoleum countertops, um, you know, you know, nothing nice, in order to like create the vision. So we delayed gratification in a way. And well, the truth of the matter is, when we were just as happy then as we are now, yes, because we had we could pay our bills, roof over our head, food. And we and we could have, we could enjoy life a little bit.
2: We didn't spend much. But you also had peace at home. Oh, that's right. Peace of mind. When that's it comes right. down to it, a lot of people struggle and fill up that void or hole because they're lacking peace at home and looking for it through and it makes them happy. So, so here's- I understand it, why you are doing spoil it. It's so. that, there's no
0: doubt. So here's something that's really important. So my, my first financial event comes up. I don't know. If, I know this stuff's happened to y'all. Mm. Mm-hmm. First financial events, not Blackstone. It's Goldman Sachs. Um, bless their hearts. Sometimes, <laughs> not really. Sometimes, eh, not really. I'm gonna try to talk nice. So, <clears throat> the company's doing real well. It's growing. It's it's expanding. This is um this is we're fast forwarding all the way to 2012, and I started the business in '92. So you know, 10 year period. Goldman Sachs approaches me and says, Hey, you know, we want to buy uh, 25% of the company for 40 million bucks. Uh, and this is not cash on the balance sheet. This is cash in my pocket. And I had a partner that, that owned 15% of the business also. And um, I mean, that was a lot of money for me back then. Um, I had a lot of real estate, but I I never took the cash flow home. Right. Always back into the business. And at that point, ten years later, I was still paying myself sixty grand a year. That's it. I never had taken dividends out of the company personally, obviously to pay real estate, but to spend. And so, forty million was was a big payday. Well, here's the deal: my wife, we had had two children at that point, and my wife went into like the deepest, darkest depression, postpartum, and it had been it had been a couple of years already, bedridden depression. Now I had two young children wife in bed didn't have help um didn't um I should have had a bit of help truthfully looking back I just didn't think like that mm-hmm. and um but I but I still had to run the business I had to make good decisions for the future of my family and uh so we 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 do this transaction and we get I get paid now I get paid and I have a wife in bed she can get out of bed a couple of times then that's Maybe to eat, sometimes to shower, um, use the restroom, and that's it. Now, we had lots of conversations when she could, but she was in a dark pit. If you, you know, I know we've all been around people with in that mm-hmm. situation that they can't control. And I did get paid. That's a lot of money. And I would have given back every last penny to have that woman that had supported me so fully every dollar back to have her happy, everything. So I've been blessed in life, definitely financially, no doubt, hard work, whatever. I mean, it's I haven't done it all. I've had amazing people around me, but also call it the cosmos, call it whatever, call it God, allowing hard situations, and that's not the hardest I've been through, by the way, that's one of, allowing things to humble me and help me understand that man the things we're talking about they're fun they're things they're, they, right. but they don't last right um but there there's there's something i enjoy but it's it it always comes down to the people that we're around and like the people we love and the people who support us that, that are real to us mm-hmm. our relationships our health mm-hmm. and we say this and it sounds trivial but it's not so that's just a little taste of like you know where i came from and my first time getting paid and and the perspective I've had, and then uh, the life has hit me more times on the head. Maybe I've needed it, um, probably have. But I, but I appreciate that now, looking back on. But now, by the way, my wife's good and healthy, and um, it, I've got Andy back in a hundred percent. Love,
2: love, Man, I appreciate you coming, pulling. Yeah, in. I learned a lot, and uh, thanks for you know being open and vulnerable. I actually, uh, yes. Thank you. Yeah, especially you love know, that you have for your wife. That was, that was yeah, yeah, for real. That sounds crazy, but
1: nah, no, know he, he 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 always talks about that. He was like, you know, my wife and I like you know timepieces, and so he always jokes whenever I buy my wife a timepiece. Yeah, I can't wait till I love somebody that much as much as you do. I want to buy somebody watches like you buy her watches.
0: Always laugh about. You not married? Nah, nah, nah. Come on, nah. You no, just have, come on, let's talk about it. I
2: don't know what I'm saying. Like, I'm moving to where I've been. How
0: old are you now? I'm 34. Oh, you're, you're kind of in that zone. You got to. Now, I got married early because, you know, like in my religion, like we can't have, you know.
2: i <laughs> mean, I'm no my since middle school. Yeah, he's not an avid kid of it. No? <laughs> but I'm happy I'm married. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, you were crazy,
0: man. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.